Hello and welcome to Fork Tongues, conversations with foreigners living in France. I'm Derek Rawson, I'm from Australia, but I've been living in France for more than 10 years now, first in Paris and now in Poitiers. I started this podcast as a way of rediscovering my love of France and French culture. With my guests, I delve into all aspects of living in France, from language and culture to meeting locals and discovering the food, giving you a glimpse of what daily life in France is really like, at least from a foreigner's perspective. We also talk about our home countries too. So not only will you learn about life in France, you'll also hear about life in other countries around the world as well. For this episode, we're once again heading to Vernet-les-Bains in the Pyrenees Oriental, the region on the eastern Mediterranean side of the mountain range, where I spent two weeks with my family during this year's French summer holidays. My guest is Jim Neve, another Englishman and relatively new resident of the region. It was actually Jim who put me in contact with Michael, my guest from episode 11. When I visited Jim and his wife, Janet, at their home, they were doing what many French grandparents, or grandparents in France, I should say, do during the school holidays, minding grandchildren. In this case, a toddler-age grandson. With two months off during the summer, then two weeks of school holidays every six or so weeks, finding childcare solutions for working parents is not always easy. So many grandparents play an important role. Anyway, you can hear Jim and Janet's grandson in the background during our conversation. And when he went down for a post-lunch sleep, Janet sat down at the dining table with us. Unfortunately, my equipment wasn't set up for a three-person conversation, but I hope you'll find the sound acceptable, and the conversation as interesting as always. Our discussion covered many topics, but we really got down to the nitty-gritty of everyday life in France, especially in their region and in the wake of Brexit. Invitations to apéros, dealing with tradesmen, getting a French driver's license, bringing pub culture to a French village, and all kinds of cultural differences that exist between expats and the French. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So welcome to Fork Tongues, Jim. Thank you. <laughs> it's a real pleasure and I really appreciate uh, you being here. So here we are in the, the Pyrénées Orientales, uh, very close to Villefranche du Conflant and Vernet-les-Bains, but we're here in Cornea du Conflant? Yes, Cornea du Conflant, the upper end of it. It's very close to the bottom end of Vernet. So I think, um, well, I know the house we're now in was advertised as in Vernet-les-Bains, where it actually isn't. Okay. It's cheaper for the rates. <laughs> Can you tell me a bit about the, the region or the area? The area? Well, it's a very old town favoured by the English for 100 years or more. And uh, we came here because we found it, we were looking for a place in France and we We explored the coast, and it's beautiful, and I wanted to live there. But it's too windy in in winter, and it empties. So um, it just so happens that this valley has very little wind because it's in a corner. Uh, so you can you can get howling wind down in Prade, and certainly in Perpignan, and none here. So that's why we're here. Well, one of the reasons we're here, and it's only it's. Just over an hour to the coast, hour and 20 minutes yeah. to the coast. So we're in the, really in the shadow of... Canigou. Canigou, yeah. Yes. yeah, which we can actually see today. There's no clouds at the, the yep. summit, I think. Yes, that's really... We, we, visited, the, we visited the house, and uh, it was the view, really, that was one of the major selling points. So it is Although spectacular. You can't eat a view, but... <laughs> <laughs> and you do get sick of it. Oh, yeah, mountain. <laughs> <laughs> why do you know why this area has been popular with English people over I, the last? I begin years? to I begin to find out. Um, I think it's the climate is very reminiscent of England. It's two degrees cooler than on down on the plain, 
and you get more rain, just a little bit. And there's and it's the being the mountains, it's a bit more variable than on the flat down below the mountain. So that's why I think. And the other thing that clinched it for us was, uh, well, the way we were introduced to it was a friend in um, Hilkley, where we we lived near in the UK, said, oh, there's some new bells going in in the church in, in uh, Verne-le-Bas. And my wife, Janet, is a bell ringer. And so I said, oh, let's go and let's go and see. And we, we came and saw the... The tower captain, the, who in bell ringing circles is the one who runs the show, um, was very nice to us. Said, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll teach you know we'll we'll do some bell ringing here." And it's the only church in France, I think. There's one in Ypres, which is Belgium, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's the only ring in France, so. Uh, so I was a bit reluctant to learn, really, but you said you've got to learn because there's not so few people here. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's a good, it's good. So what does that entail, being a, a bell ringer? What well, it entails learning how to ring. This is a ring of ten, and there are various um, stages, and I'm an, a novice at the moment. Bell ringers get very obsessive about things called methods and uh, and I'm not anywhere near that yet I doubt, doubt if I ever will be if, if I class myself as a, a more normal person they're a bit obsessive I think I've probably offended a huge number of people <laughs> and your wife did that back in the UK as well yes she did she was she'd been bell ringing for about I think somewhere between five and seven years in the town we lived in, which is Otley in Yorkshire, and um, they'd practice three times a week, and they'd ring the bells on Sundays, and they'd ring for weddings and all sorts. And uh, I wasn't really interested in learning, but here, uh, you, it's a good way to meet people. Yeah. And they're they're a, a lovely circle of people, mostly English here. There were there's two French ringers who now can ring better than me, and. Uh, <laughs> It's, it involves, you have to go every Sunday and ring the bells okay. for, for church. It's interesting that there's, you mentioned that there are more English ringers than French. And coming back to this idea of English people coming to, mm. to the region, um, is there a real community of English people? Or yes. is it just people who've come here living separately? Or do you? Uh, there is. Uh, it's got a few centres. There's a community amongst the churchgoers and the bell ringers who aren't necessarily the same because you're not forced to be a churchgoer to ring bells and there's also a community amongst the builders and work professionals and obviously their clients and i think it's because we found that the workmen say are plumbers builders electricians the Catalans and the, the natives, to our mind, being recent incomers, they're difficult to get hold of. And to a newcomer, it's easier to hire a, an English or a other European professional uh, because they're more likely to speak your language. It's difficult as you learn the language. Uh, there is a there is a difference in culture, and you've got to learn it. Um, it's hard to explain, really. To put it sort of succinctly, I think the Catalan the local the local builders like to work for the villa owners and house owners who 
who arrive, French and English and other Europeans, who arrive in the summer and leave in the winter because prices are better. If you, if you only spend a little time here and want your house done when you're here, or they're, they're, they're willing to pay top dollar. They're not really that interested in working for people who are here all year round and uh, would want stuff doing out of season. And there is also a difference in culture in, in how to get hold of them and how to converse with them and how to get them to do stuff for you. It, it's hard to learn. There's a, there's a difference in etiquette. They don't seem to like just an email or just a phone call on a message. It's much better if you go and see them. Much, much better. And, and they are very difficult to sort of pin down okay. to English eyes. I don't understand really fully. Perhaps we're sort of, we're treading on all the little social rules that we don't understand yet. There's a definite learning curve there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yes, I heard a similar thing um, of people in, in the Saumur region, who I think it seemed very common for, for English people there to, to hire English tradesmen mm. and so on for the work they wanted have done. So it seems, yeah, a common, uh, mm. common situation. Yeah, I think the overriding thing is you know how to, the, the communication is better and you know what to expect from each other. And there is a definite difference in communication. And I think the English just tread on French sensibilities a bit. And the other way around. They do things and you think, well, what's that about? And it's just, we don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) How long, I mean, you've been in Poitiers 10 years. How's your understanding of the culture coming on? (laughs) (laughs) Well, good question. Um, Sometimes it still seems very, uh, very foreign to me. Yes, yes. And and Josh, our son, who is... Now he's been been together with Sonia for more than three years, three or four years. Um, he still doesn't understand the culture sometimes, and he's got her there to explain to him what's yes. going on. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he's in a similar position to you. He works for a company in Paris, mm-hmm. and um, he's starting to, I think, like you, just feel isolated mm-hmm. uh, from from everything, from mm-hmm. French culture, English culture, everything. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's what COVID has done, really, I think. Even in the big cities. I mean, it must be worse in the big cities because you're used to everything all the time. And uh, in the countryside, that doesn't occur usually. Countryside, it's closed at nine and it's closed half the year. I mean, we found Vernet very, very quiet in winter, but we didn't really know whether that was a feature of normal life or of COVID, I think a bit of both. Uh, it's far quieter than a little town in the north of England <laughs> in winter, isn't it? There's no kind of pub life or anything like that. Uh, the- we laughed when they they brought the curfew down to nine o'clock. Well, <laughs> what's the difference? <laughs> this place is shut by nine o'clock anyway. <laughs> And then when they moved it to half past ten, for us that was like well, that was like old times when the English pubs would sh- would would shut at half past ten anyway. So, and do you, do you speak French? Talking about communication yes. with like, yes, yes. Um, it's getting better. And Janet speaks French as well. It, you both find that your school French wasn't sufficient, and bar and restaurant French from holidays isn't sufficient official French when you encounter the stuff that you've got to do for your carte de séjour 
don't understand. <laughs> and it takes a bit of doing. And also bank websites and banking. Oh, that is difficult. You, I think the English or the British and everybody else must be the same. They assume that banking practice and business practice is the same. It's the same problem, the same problems. But of course, every country solves those problems differently. And then you encounter these small differences and you, it floors you completely. Because you think, well, it doesn't happen like that in the UK, and that's what I'm used to. It's what I've been used to, and it you have to. It's a re, it's a learning curve. I'm still not used to bank, banking websites. Well, why can't you do that? Why, why? <laughs> yes, the idea of in France having a personal bank manager it still seems common, and in Australia, that's really a thing of the past. Uh, mm. Banks don't want you sort of through the doors now. Everybody no, sort of uh, absolutely not. Online. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to me, banking practice was because I, I used to work for a bank. They're about 20 years behind, but they've got the technology now to sort of bolt it on. So you've, you've got a hybrid system with new technology bolted onto a practice that is rooted in the 1950s, to my mind. Uh, they haven't sort of done it as smoothly. Or perhaps they have, but I'm just somebody whose observations are clouded by don't understand the language <laughs> or the culture too much or enough to well, judge. It's interesting to say that sort of 20 years behind because that is something I hear a lot from, from my French students that France is sort of 10, they often say 10 years behind the US so mm. in terms of technology and, and, and different, mm. different things. So how did, how did you learn French? It was, was, was France something in your, in your family? I mean, is that, did you have family holidays to France? We had, we had family holidays all the t- every, not every year, but mostly. We did Spain as well with the rest of the, because it's hard to resist the, uh, the sun and the cheap flights and everything. But we did France mostly. And we have some friends who are from the French town twinning organization in, in the UK. And we got friendly with a couple who live outside Paris. And they were the ones who got Joshua interested in France because he encountered them when he was about 12, 13, 14, and they taught him some rude French and all, all the, all, all the, all, all the vulgar words that they could summon up. <laughs> and he thought that was great. And uh, he went on to, he left university in Leeds and had a gap year in Montpellier. And the story continues from that and never left. So, yes, he, he really likes, he really does like France and has settled here. Mm-hmm. We still, we're, we're still in touch with our friends outside Paris. And, uh, of course, they're getting on now. They're, they're sort of in their 70s and 80s. But, but our French was, was learned at school. And we've kept it up over the years, socially and, what, what would you call them in England? Evening classes, not religiously, but every so often. Does the Alliance Francaise have a presence in England? Uh, if it does, I don't, I'm not aware of it. The organizations that, that are useful, you have to plug yourself into, but I, I'm, I'm not really, uh, I find it difficult organizations. I'm not a joiner of clubs, really. <laughs> Although the, the rare clubs I do join, I find them very useful, but for some reason I, d- I find them difficult. Is it like the, the Groucho Marx thing? Uh, yes, yes. I want to be part of a club that would have someone like me as a member. Exactly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do find I, they're useful, um, but I don't easily join them. I don't know why. 
I'm sure there are probably some in the region, but in your experience, are there, you talked about the, the expat community, the English people that live here. Um, would you say that, uh, well, how's it been with, with local French people? Do you, have you made friends with local French people? Is it kind of the expats on one side and the local sort of Catalan French on the other? Or is there a lot it's, of... It is two-sided. There's no friction. There's no friction between them, but it is two-sided because I, they don't really understand each other's way of going about stuff. Although I noticed the other day something good. Our neighbours are all French and we know them. We've invited them round to Aperos and they've come. Joshua warned us you will never get an invite back for the French keep their houses for family, mostly. I mean, there are exceptions to every rule. So we've only, we have had one invitation back, but it's not the norm. And I noticed we went, we went to one of the bars the other night and there was a load of English people sat round. That was us, eight of us. And we had nothing to eat and just drank wine. And one of our neighbours was on a different table. And they'd, they were eating and they were drinking uh, with some of their friends. And, and we, they said hello and, and we communicated across the table a few times. And afterwards they said, it was nice to see that we were trying to instigate the pub tradition in the town because the French would never not eat. They always feel they have to eat if they're drinking, which the English don't. <laughs> Maybe a few crisps. <laughs> and they, they, they thought that was a good thing. Well, I was pleased to see that. And they asked whether there was any of the other restaurants in Vernet would do that. And we, I don't think there is. No, there isn't. There, there are very few restaurants in Vernet anyway. That's what I was going to say. Four, isn't it? We actually had uh, dinner last night in the Indian restaurant, the yes. Jardin du Jasmin, which, yeah. mm -hmm. which was, uh, yes, the best Indian meal I've had in, in a long time. Uh, yes, it's good, isn't it? And they, they do good fish and chips as well. Okay, I saw that on the menu. But, uh, well, speaking of uh, fish and chips, are there, are there things you do miss from, from England? I miss my friends a lot, but that's COVID, really, because we would have been back and forth a lot. Because you can get a flight from Girona, which is only an hour and 20 minutes away by car. You can get a flight for 20 quid return. Okay, that's in Spain, Girona. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, yes, I asked you if you miss things from UK, and I sort of thought about the Indian restaurant, where they get the, the, the spices and all they need to visit. It you can. Very authentic. Everything's available at a price, and it's the time to find out where it is. <laughs> take, the, take baked beans. If you want, if you want a tin of beans, you can go to our local Intermarche and pick up a tin of beans for five euros. But if you go to a bit further and go to Super U, it's only double the price of in England. So that's worth doing if you if if you're craving beans on toast. Okay. <laughs> but they, yeah, the local supermarkets will have a line, a couple of lines of the most craved items like marmite. Beans, <laughs> uh, but you have you pay. Yes. Unfortunately for me, as an Australian, I've never seen a veggie mite anywhere apart from in Paris in a very mm. expensive, uh, mm. exotic yes. uh, sort of exotic yes shop. It's it's similar to Marmite, similar, isn't it? But, but it's not the not same. The same. <laughs> no, I know I've tasted it. No, it's not the same. But I would accept it as a substitute yes. if I was desperate. <laughs> <laughs> the beer also is. 
I have no complaints about French beer apart from the fact that it's it's smaller and stronger. So, <laughs> so you cannot get away with drinking three pints of stuff at seven to nine percent <laughs> and, and feel good the next morning, or guarantee getting home. Yes. <laughs> but the rise of naught percent beers, uh, I've found a solution. You can have a you can have a short strong beer and put a naught percent lager in the top of it. Mm-hmm. And have the quantity. Yes, I have noticed as well. The, yeah, the the trend for uh, zero alcohol strong beers beer. and, and strong beers. For, maybe that comes from Belgium coming down. Mm. The Trappist beers. And, yes, there's a lot of that. So in terms of French food and even sort of Catalan food, is that something you've embraced and uh, enjoy? I don't know if you French, cook, cook that at home. French food. Uh, yes, I like, and I've tried to embrace. All of it, and most of it I can, but I can't do andouillettes. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> I tend to stay away from that myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But snails and things like that. Oh, yes, uh, yeah. snails and things like that. And I, I've got used to now the strange order of things that they're like, they, they don't like it all on one plate. Um, so it comes in various salad, then off, and then the potatoes or the cheese at a different stage. Which I like. If uh, they, they'll give you the cheese before the dessert, which is good because you want to keep drinking the wine. <laughs> 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 so yeah, I don't mind that. But yeah, it's it's good. I was reading something uh, interesting about cheese. Um, more relevant when you're invited to someone's home. That apparently um, you're not supposed to serve yourself. All the cheeses, if there's a cheese platter, mm. and uh, and you're not supposed to reserve yourself cheese because the idea is that the cheese is the only thing that the host has not prepared him or herself. So if you serve more cheese, means you haven't eaten enough of what they cooked. Oh, so it's well, kind of a judgment on, on their food. This is sort of traditional French, I guess, bourgeoisie uh, culture. And um, yes, you, you, that's uh, oh dear. <laughs> I've I don't got, think anyone, that, French I've, people that I've said that to have gone, oh, that's, that they weren't really yes, kind of I hope that. that's not, that's too uh, universal, because uh, <laughs> I'll have offended loads of people. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure you'll have. <laughs> scoff all the cheese. <laughs> yeah. What, what confused us when we first came was um, aperitifs. Because aperitifs in England is, it can be anything, but it's mm. usually a drink and a few nibbles. And it's usually comes before the meal. Mm-hmm. But in France, you don't know whether it means just a drink and a few nibbles or whether it's going to go on to yes. a meal and how much you're going to get. And it comes out <laughs> so slowly. <Yes. laughs> but uh, we, we were lucky because when we first came here, we went to Mosaic, which was a, a school that was set up probably about 50 years ago to help immigrants learn French. And, of course, because of covid the school had to close down, but one of the teachers contacted us and said, uh, do you want to meet up? So come round for aperitifs. And I was thinking, oh, this is good because I'll learn what, what aperitifs you, yeah. are. And it was, it was really bizarre. It started off with some olives and some small tomatoes and um, some grapes. And she didn't drink but we'd taken a bottle, so we drank our wine. And then we thought, well, that was it. And then eventually she came out with a quiche. Okay. <laughs> and then a tart. So, yes. yes, it developed into a more or less a full meal spread over a long time. Yes. Mosaic was good because I'd begun to feel, I'd begun to realise what an immigrant feels like. I'd never even really considered that. 
and uh, it was nice to meet other nationalities. But unfortunately, uh, about a month ago, they had a meeting and decided to disband it. Yes, I think the organisers had got all got too old to be bothered anymore. I don't think they were getting any encouragement from the government to carry on because they'd obviously got some funding, and so they thought it was the time to stop. But they did have lunch at the end, and they invited us to it. We expected other students, but we were the only ones there. Oh, really? (laughs) So um, there were about 20 people, and they all said why they joined the organisation and what they did within it. Mm. And there was an Arabic woman there who uh, said she'd been there for about 50 years, and she arrived as a young immigrant, unable to speak any French, and then she carried on helping the organisation. When you go around the markets here, there's a big market in Prague, you hear a lot of Moroccans speaking Arabic. There's lots of people from all around the world yes. in, in the area. Yes, there are. Yeah. It's a, I didn't realise quite how poor an area is compared to... I mean, I don't know many areas in France compared to... Uh, and big cities are different. I mean, you see all sorts in a big city, all levels. But... Um, Compared to, say, the area that we know a bit of outside Paris, it's much poorer here. Mm-hmm. And split into tourists and the indigenous you know, locals are just trying to <laughs> scratch a living, mm-hmm. a lot of them. I guess apart from perhaps tourism, there's not a lot of... Uh, no, I don't think there is. Economy. I mean, the farmers, I mean, they, traditionally they grow apricots and apples around mm-hmm. here. Uh, chestnuts, apricots, apples, cherries, cherries. Yeah, so fruit. But I think that's becoming harder and harder. With they say with climate change as well. Although here you see a lot of water. There's lots of streams about all over, and there's a fascinating rural network of um, arrasage, which is watering. And we've spent a lot of time trying to make sure our water arrives because we've got a little channel that runs through the garden, and we get. We get three hours every eight days. <laughs> How is that decided or organised? There's a syndicate. There's a syndicate and a, a little chap who's head of the syndicate. And you have to go and... Uh, when, the, when your time arrives, you have to go and lift the little valve, which is a f- steel flap, and the water comes down your bit of the channel. It's called a van. Yeah, a van. And there are, the main one is at the, at the Intermarsh, which is about half a mile away quarter of a mile away and you have to trace it down because there are lots of little branches off and and they're not guaranteed of course to be all facing your way and you've got a right to follow the channel down but it goes through people's gardens okay. <laughs> so, yeah a good way to meet your neighbors yeah, it is a good or, way. Not. or not <laughs> yes. if they've got a shotgun or a big dog which a lot of them do have so there are some parts of it i wouldn't go through and there are other parts where, well, and those parts you can go and see the proprietor, you can see the, the person and say, if there's a problem, and say, look, I've, I've got a problem. But that gets you to know the locals, and they're uniformly, they're very nice, but they've got the, they've, they certainly have got the system stitched up to water their gardens correctly, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and they're not really going to give much to you Unless you ask them Unless nicely. Unless you ask them. You have Every to ask time. them nicely. Yes. And they've been, they've been very good with us, I think. But you do notice the schedule. Everybody's got a schedule. And 
one of our neighbours is new as well. He arrived after us, but they're French, and he complained as much about it as we do. Okay. said, you never get your water, and they've all got it stitched up. <laughs> so it's not just uh, foreigners. It's, no, it's well, not just maybe, foreigners. Maybe French or foreigners here in, in, yeah, in Catalonia. They're, yeah, they're, for, they're, they're from fairly near. They're from Cabistani, which is not so far away. That has been one of the things that I've found surprising, all the water running down the gutters up in Vernet-les-Bains. Mm. That's all part of the arrosage and regulated and fought over. <laughs> it's coming from like such a dry continent as Australia, seeing yeah. Yeah, water running down the gutters. <gasps> the waste. Well, yes. yeah, we're within, we're within two rivers, aren't we? The Caddy and the St. Vincent's. And, and uh, the water comes off both, I think. But the St. Vincent on this side... And it's medieval. The chap who runs the syndicate says that the people in Prague who officially have all the maps, he said the maps are wrong, they don't know what's going on. I imagine the, the water from the tap must be of rather high quality. Oh, yeah. it's, yeah, it's very good. Mm. Very good for making tea. tasted it. Mm. So the subject of Brexit, just briefly. Um... Nightmare. <laughs> Nightmare, yes. I mean, I'm so disappointed with the, with the way... The governments have sort of mishandled it completely. Both governments. Yeah, I think so. I, I suppose the the num there are hundreds of thousands of no tens of thousands of people of English people in France, high tens of thousands, I would thought, and they've not really given much thought to or any consideration to what you know what we face. No driving licenses. You've got to change all the your carte de séjour and everything, which you would have to do anyway. But deadlines and so it's complex. It's uh, complicated. Yes, yeah. it is complicated. It's, it's. I don't think either government were ready for the complications. And of course, being a relatively small, unimportant section, as opposed to fish or lorries full of food crossing the channel, we're not that important. They haven't given us that much of a thought. It makes you feel, feel even more like an immigrant and, and small in that the governments don't really care about you. Yeah, it's been difficult. But we have got through the system eventually. Yes, we have. We've got, we've got all the pieces of paper we need yeah, to stay. It's been two years, we've got the pieces of paper now. <laughs> so some people will have to leave, do you think? Uh, some people have left. Okay. Yes, some people have left back for England. And more will leave, I think, because they find the complication of driving licences, medical care... The carte de séjour, the, yeah, the, the driving. Too much to bother with. Mm. They'll yeah, be back. The, It'll the, be just a reason to go back. And so the, the driving licences are really difficult because yeah. the system is so complicated. Mm. It's, it's computerised and there is no one to talk to. There's, there's no number to ring except a premium number. So you just have to battle your way through it. And we only managed to do it in the end because of this Facebook group called... Exchanging your English driving yeah. license for a French driving license, yeah, which sounds a ridiculous title. But it's uh, this, this big rambling Facebook group run by a lady, and uh, she she must spend all her time doing it because there are hundreds of people going. I can't. I've got no license to drive. My husband's ill. Yeah. I live out in the country. I need yeah. to get medication. I need to drive and I can't. I can't get insured, so I haven't got a license. So even if you're prepared to drive your car without a license, it's not insured and you can't reinsure it if you haven't got a license. It's very, very difficult. And this age group of people 
would um, would would normally be very law abiding, and businesses are worse worse because in exchange for your license, you either have to go for a medical or renounce your heavy goods categories and business categories, and it's a nightmare. Mm. People will get through it, but it it's another reason to give it all up and leave. <laughs> but we don't know anybody who's been thrown out. We just know people who are very worried they might be. Mm. Well, COVID has made people more worried, and people who are working here have also seen their incomes drop, yeah, or disappear completely, and so they've got to struggle with that. We know people who are, you know, borderline. Shall I leave? Shall I not? Do you think the the language makes it more difficult? I mean. I don't like to generalise, but do you think most English people that come speak French? They speak enough French to get on, but in difficult times the language becomes an issue because you've got you're exploring areas of language that you don't usually use. Yes, because it, I mean it's very easy to be on holiday in France, isn't it? Go to a restaurant or you're yeah. going to book a hotel or mm. you want a post office or a bank, all those sort of things that you used to as as a tourist. Mm-hmm. Mm. But when you get here and you have to actually ring up a hairdresser and say, can I, can I have my hair cut? And then they say, no, I'm not taking any new clients because COVID, go away. And the dentists are the same. We have to go to Spain. issues with dentists. Dentists won't take on new customers. Even now they're wary. Uh, and I had one say to me, unless you're in pain, no, I had, a, I had to uh, have a tooth replaced. The uh, crown fell off. They wouldn't do that. To go to Spain, which wasn't that much of a problem. It's only an hour and a half drive away, but... Lucky it's an option. Yeah, very lucky it's an option. Uh, For retired people, you've got more time than, say, people who are working as well. People who are trying to work and maybe have got a family here, they must be pushed close to the edge. It's interesting, the language that... All the people I know, the English people I know who speak French, speak with a t- terrible construction of the sentence. It's an English construction, mm. and it's a broad English accent on yeah. the top of it. Yes, and I just and yet the local people do understand us. there isn't really a problem if you're desperate. They do understand, and making an effort perhaps is yes. appreciated. Yes. yes, yeah, it is very much. The French people we've met, there's none of them really want to pursue their English, apart from, no, that's not true, it's a couple, I've met a couple who do. But we were, I feel we were very lucky when we first came because we went to Mosaic, we met some English people, so yes. we had a group of friends mm-hmm. even through Covid. Yeah, you have to sort of get over your, I have to get over my dislike of joining organisations. You have to join them. Yeah. We joined <laughs> yes. a walking group and it's mainly English. Well, English, that lot are English and Irish. There's a lot of Irish. Yes. And of course, the bell ringing. We did have two French ringers, but the rest English. So although you think you're going to come over and you'll converse with your neighbours and you will socialise with your neighbours, actually, you, you, yeah. you seem to seek out, well, you find anyway, whether you want to or not. Mm-hmm. English you, you have to have help with, with doing stuff. Say, setting up the television or the electricity or the water, you have to have help because it's, although it's the same problem, it's not the same solution and it's in a different language. The, the subtleties get you. Yeah. So I know you haven't been here for all that long now, but do you think you'll move back to the UK at some point or is this sort of home? This is increasingly home, yes. Yeah, I think. 
Don't know. Yes. <laughs> Half our children are here. Well, that was the, is the other thing. We were very lucky that we're here, and it was Joshua of our two children who decided to start a family. Yes, yeah. that's Otherwise, an interesting thought. Had the other one, Abby, in Manchester, started to produce children, would we have felt it might have pushed us? And right, we're off. <laughs> Good. And it, it might in the future, but we're going know. back uh, to England to Jim's sister's 80th birthday yeah, party. And that yeah. would be interesting to f- see how we feel about mm. England again, because we've yes. not been there for two years. years. Yeah. Uh, I think there are definite advantages for people who have still got a house in the UK. I never realised. I thought it would just be a complication keeping a house in the UK. And... Of course, it's much more expensive to do so and might not even have been possible. But it's definite advantage having an address because lots of UK organisations, banks, the government, the driving licence, say, no, you're not, you cannot have one of our accounts or do this or do that unless you've got a UK address. Well, coming back to, to family, any, any thoughts or feelings about having a French grandson? Is that, do you oh, consider that? Oh, it's lovely, yeah. yes, yes. Did you ever think you'd have a, a French person in the in the family? Well, the, the, it was interesting because when we met Sonia's parents, they said we're we're one big family now. It's okay. lovely. It was yeah. really welcoming. It was yes, lovely are. to meet them, and uh, yeah, they were very, they were really very nice. Yes, uh, Sonia, uh, our daughter-in-law, says her parents are very interested in coming to visit us, but of course they haven't been yet because of COVID. And they're just waiting for an invitation. For an aperitif. Yeah, that could be interesting, couldn't it? We, we, we could transgress all sorts of social rules. <laughs> I think you said they were from different backgrounds as well. So they are, they are yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, him being Polish and her being Venezuelan, they probably aren't that sticklers for the, uh, for the traditions. I'm sure they'd be fine. Yeah, we, we have friends uh, in Montreux, south of Paris, who we've known since the early 90s, I think. And they're, they're absolutely French. And we've been over and stayed with them, and they've come and stayed with us in England. And there have mm-hmm. never been any issues, have there? No. We? Apart from, I think they find out everything on your plate when you're eating <laughs> dinner. Okay. Yeah. It's a struggle. There was an incident when the, when the male half of the pair had to go off to the local supermarket and get himself a baguette and some cheese. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was so desperate. Okay. Yeah, I think we leave too long in between. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a silly question to finish. Um, maybe it won't, won't work at all, but um, speaking to you now, I've sometimes been reminded of um, Peter Mayle's A Year in Provence, especially talking about um, dealing with tradesmen and so on, uh, mm. renovating a house. So I was going to ask you, do you feel more, I don't know, Peter Mayle and A Year in Provence or, or Stephen Clark and A Year in the Mail? I don't know. If yes, I've, I haven't read it, but I've heard about it. Yes. I know why people write those books out. It's, it's therapy. Yes, it they is have- cathartic. If you get it on paper, Uh, it's it's easier to take. I could definitely see myself joining an an overpopulated genre and writing one. (laughs) Because you can see the chapters, you know, coming up, getting a driving license, getting your cart to schedule. How to do Brexit and COVID and come out of it alive. It sounds like it needs a new new version or an updated version. Updated version, yes. 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 Uh, uh, A friend of mine in England said, you must... uh, 
why don't you do a, a, a blog? Yes. And uh, I didn't do a blog, but I did write a diary for a year. And uh, it'd be interesting to go back yeah. and, and read what yeah. what struck me at the time. Using the Facebook driving license group, you realize—I mean, everybody gets very blinkered—and you think it's only the people from the UK who have problems with France. But there's all sorts of nationalities. Everyone on that group struggling with, to get a driving license. <laughs> I've got I, my license was issued in Venezuela. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> That's not just the English. No, language. it's not. They're awkward with everybody. We, we did have a funny incident. I decided since I lost my driving license when I reached 70, and um, I tried to change it for a French one and several times, and it was always rejected, and it was never quite clear to me why it was rejected or what I needed to do to get it. And um, I decided I would take a driving test. And um, so I got a, a highway code and I started an online course. Mm. And I was absolutely amazed at the number of rules there are in France. Yeah, uh, the number of signs that we had no idea what they were. <laughs> and of course, it's, it, it's not just, uh, you know, learning the rules. You've got to learn the language around yeah, the rules. Okay. You know what? What are dipped headlights and etc. God knows. And uh, so I, I started to to take the test just to see if I could pass. And you've got to get thirty five out of forty questions correct. But each question is subdivided into one, two, three, or four, <laughs> and it's supposed to be multiple choice. But it isn't. There might be one answer, two answers, three answers. So it's really very difficult. And uh, I read an account of this American who was doing the same, and he was just having the same difficulty. But he finished with, he actually took the test and he passed it because the test isn't anywhere near as difficult as these online practice exams are. But I I never got that far. No. Because um, when when they opened the website again and said we can now reapply, I reapplied, and I, uh, before you can take a driving test, you have to get something called a NEF number. And to get the NEF number, it's a bit like trying to get a carte de séjour. It's not that easy, but it's all done through the same website. And, of course, when I made the application for exchange of the licences, they automatically cancelled my application for my NEF number. So, yeah, which so made I never you got, give up completely. Yeah, so oh. I never got a chance to just just <laughs> yeah. take the the theory test. It was no. very annoying. Just, <laughs> See, night after night, I'm going to... I'm going yeah. to Pass this test if it kills me. Yeah. It's, it's another language difficulty. I'm, I'm sure you would be able to explain to them if it was your first language that you wanted to take a test. Yes, I mean, you do a theory but test and a In a second language, no, it's just not happening. It, but at least it was a French learning opportunity. I learned loads of French doing <laughs> yeah. that. That's looking on the bright side. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, look on the bright and side. And also... I would be driving along with Jim saying... Um, uh, I would be driving you as I would, like driving Miss dri- Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say to him, do you know what that sign means? No. no. <laughs> well, you should. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know the one where uh, you're, given, you're given right of way on a main road, mm-hmm. and then, um, which is a, a, a lozenge in yellow. And then the sign that's across, mm-hmm. usually country roads that say... 
you've got to give way. Yeah. And again, Jim, I have Jim no idea. had no idea. <laughs> and then zebra crossings, train crossings, that oh, which well, are alone around yeah. here. Those <laughs> really bizarre rules. Yeah. Yeah, nobody follows the rules, do they? <laughs> <laughs> and then parking. It's so complicated in France. Have you noticed? Yes. Yeah, but no, the, the French, we, all the French people we meet, they say, we don't take any notice of the rules, nobody pays. So, well, what's that about? Yes, yeah, I I've, uh, Parking is better, I think, because of this double system in France. In England, parking is appalling. Uh, you pay a fortune and there's very few car parks and... Everybody tries to, they adhere to the rules and they either pay or they complain loudly. Um, in France, there's loads of parking spaces and everything that say payant, nobody pays. <laughs> you ask the French to get, oh, don't worry about that, just park. And the station car parks, it's only a euro for four hours, six hours if it's over lunchtime. And uh, I've noticed still the French are slightly reluctant to park there because you have to pay that euro. <laughs> it's a different, a very much a difference in culture. So there's still things to navigate, even. There are still years. things to navigate. Yes. Well, I wish you all the best for the, the yeah. coming years. Yeah. It's, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you today. Thank you very much for being a part of the podcast. Yeah. Much appreciated. De rien, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> yes, de rien. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks again, Jim and Janet, for the conversation and for welcoming me into your home. It was a real window onto life in your beautiful corner of the world. And one of the reasons my family had such a great holiday in Vernet-Liban, meeting such kind and generous locals, local expats as yourselves. In the last two episodes, the subject of Brexit has come up, not surprisingly with my English guests. And while I'm sure most people in both England and France are probably still fed up with hearing about Brexit, I'm going to risk boring those people with a little analogy I came across recently on YouTube. It was a clip of the English comedian James Acaster, I hope I'm saying his name right, on a TV panel show. A bit old, but nonetheless a succinct and amusing summary of the Brexit vote. As I said, it's a bit old. He compared the vote to a cup of tea. I can't do accents, but this is what he said. In and out is a very hard decision. It's like the other day, my flatmate was making me a peppermint tea, and he said, would you like the bag, leave it in or take it out? And it's very hard because if you leave the bag in, then over time the cup of tea itself as a whole will get stronger. And it may appear that the bag is getting weaker, but now it's part of a stronger cup of tea. Whereas if you take the bag out, the tea is now quite weak and the bag itself goes directly in the bin. Anyway, it made me laugh. I suggest you look it up on YouTube if you want the full experience. But I'm going to finish now with a quote from Peter Mayer the author of the classic A Year in Provence that I mentioned during my conversation with you. In my opinion, it's not entirely unrelated to the previous two. One must never forget that life is unfair, but sometimes, with a bit of luck, this works in your favour. And I suspect living life as an English expat in the south of France might just be an example of that. Thanks for listening. Until next time.